Hello everyone, this is the giraffe and the pelly and me by Raoul Dahl. Raoul Dahl. Well, I don't know how to say, sorry. Not far from where I live, there is a queer old empty wooden house standing all by itself on the side of the road. I long to explore inside it, but the door is always locked, and when I peer through a window, all I can see is darkness and dust. I know the ground floor used once used once to be a shop because I can still read the faded lettering across the front which says the grubber. My mother has told me that in our part of the country in the olden days a grubber was another name for a sweet shop and now every time I look at it I think to myself what a lovely old sweet shop it must have been. On the shop window itself someone has painted in white the words for sale. One morning I noticed the for sale had been scraped off the shop window and in its place someone had painted sold. I stood there staring at the new writing and wished like mad that it had been me who had bought it because then I would have been able to make it into a grubber all over again. I have always longed and longed to own a sweet shop. The sweet shop of my dreams would be loaded from top to bottom with sherbet suckers and caramel fudge Russian toffee and sugar snorties and butter gumballs and thousands and thousands of other glorious things like that. Oh boy, what I couldn't have done with that old grubber shop if, I, if it had been mine. On my next visit to the grubber, I was standing across the road, gazing at the wonderful old building, when suddenly an enormous bathtub came sailing through one of the windows on the second floor, crashed right on to the middle of the road. A few moments later, a white porcelain lavatory pan and the wooden seat still on it came flying out the same window and landed with a wonderful splittering crash just beside the bathtub. This was followed by a kitchen sink, an enormous canary cage and a four-poster four bed and two hot water bottles and a rocking horse and a sewing machine and goodness knows what else besides. It looked as though some madman was ripping up the whole the inside of the house because now pieces of staircase and bits of banister and a whole lot of old floorboards came whistling through the windows. Then there was silence. I waited and waited but not another sound came from within the building. I crossed the road and stood right under the windows and called out, is anybody at home? There was no answer. In the end it began to get dark so I had to turn away and start walking home. But you can bet your life nothing was going to stop me from hurrying back there again tomorrow morning to see what the next surprise was going to be. When I got back to the grubber's house the next morning, the first thing I noticed was the new door. The dirty old brown door had been taken out and in its place someone had fitted a brand new red one. The new door was fantastic. It was twice as high as the other one had been and it looked ridiculous. It does from the picture, my goodness. I couldn't begin to imagine who would want a tremendously tall door like that in a house unless it was a giant. As well as this, somebody had scraped away the sold notice on the shop window and now there was a whole lot of different writing all over the glass. I stood there reading it and reading it and trying to figure out what on earth it all meant. On the window it says... The Ladderless Window Cleaning Company. Get your windows cleaned 
without a lot of dirty ladders leaning against your house. Hmm. Curious. I tried to catch some sign of movement inside the house, but there was none. Until all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed that one of the windows on the top floor was slowly beginning to open outwards. Then a head appeared at the window. It's, I stared at the head and the head stared back at me with big round dark eyes. Suddenly, a second window was flung open and all the crazy things, a gigantic white bird hopped out and perched on the windowsill. I knew what this one was because of its amazing beak, which was shaped like a huge orange-coloured basin. The pelican looked down at me and sang out, Oh, how I wish for a big fat fish. I'm as hungry as ever can be. A dish of a fish is my only wish. How far are we from the sea? We're a long way from the sea, I called back to him. But there's a fishmonger's in the village not far away. Oh, fish what? A fishmonger's. Now, what on earth would that be? asked the pelican. I have heard of a fish pie and a fish cake and a fish finger, but I have never heard of a fishmonger. Are these mongers good to eat? This question baffled me a bit, so I said, Who's your friend in the next window? She's a giraffe, the pelican answered. Is she not wonderful? Her legs are on the ground floor and her head is looking out the top window. As if all this wasn't enough, the window on the first floor was now flung open wide and out popped a monkey. The monkey stood on the windowsill and did a little jiggly dance. He was so skinny he seemed to be made only of the furry bits of wire. But he danced wonderfully well and I clapped and cheered and did a little dance myself in return. We are the window cleaners, sang out the monkey. We will polish your glass till it's shining like brass and it sparkles like sun on the sea. We are quick and polite. We will come day or night, the giraffe and the pelly and me. We're a fabulous crew and we know just what to do. And we never stop work till to drink tea. And all your windows will glow. And we will give them a go, the giraffe and the pelly and me. We use water and soap, plus some kindness and hope. But we never use ladders, not we. Who needs ladders at all when you're 30 feet tall? Not giraffe and not pelly and not me. I stood there enthralled. Then I heard the giraffe say to the pelican in the next window, Pelly, my dear, be so good as to fly down and bring me that small person up here to talk to us. At once the pelican spread its huge white wings and flew down onto the road beside me. Hop in, he said, opening his enormous beak. I stared at the great orange beak and backed away. Go on, said the monkey, shouted, shouted from the top, shouted from up in his window. The pelly isn't going to swallow you. Climb in, I said to the pelican. I only get in if you promise not to shut your beak once I'm inside. You have nothing to fear, cried the pelican. And let me tell you why. I have a very special beak. A special beak have I. You'll never see a beak so fine. I don't care where you go. There's magic in this beak of mine. Hop in and don't say no. I will not hop in, I said, unless you swear on your honour you won't shut it once I'm inside. I don't like small, dark places. 
When I have done what I'm just about to do, said the pelican, I won't be able to shut it. You don't seem to understand how my beak works. Show me, I said. Watch this. I watched in amazement as the top half of the pelican's beak began to slide smoothly backwards into his head until the whole thing was almost out of sight. It bends and goes inside the back of my neck, cried the pelican. Is that not sensible? Is it not magical? It's unbelievable, I said. It's exactly like the one of those measuring tapes my father's got at home. When it's out, it's straight, and when you slide it back, it bends and disappears. Precisely, said the pelican. You see, the top half is of no use to me unless I'm actually chewing fish. The bottom half is what counts. The bottom half of this glorious beak of mine is the bucket in which we carry our window cleaning water. So, if I didn't slide the top half away, I'd be standing around all day, holding, all day long, holding it open. So, I slide it away for the rest of the day. Even so, I'm still able to speak. And whatever I've flown, it has already been known as the, oh sorry, it has always been known as the pelican's patented beak. If I want to eat fish, that's my favourite dish. And I, all I do is I give it a tweak. In the blink of an eye, out it pops and they cry. It's the pelican's painted beak. Stop showing off down there, shouted the monkey up from upstairs window. Hurry up and bring that small person up to us. The giraffe is waiting. I climbed into the big orange beak and with a swoosh of wings, pelican carried me to his perch on the windowsill. The giraffe looked out of her window at me and said, How do you do? What is your name? Billy, I told her. Well, Billy, she said, we need your help and we need it fast. We must have some windows to clean. We spent every penny we had on buying this house. and We've got to earn some more money quickly. The pelly is starving and the monkey is famished and I am perishing with hunger. The pelly needs fish, the monkey needs nuts and I am even more difficult to feed. I am... Oh, I don't know how to say that. A geranius giraffe. And a geranius giraffe cannot eat anything except the pink and purple flowers of the tinkle tinkle tree. Oh my. But those, as I'm sure you know, are hard to find and expensive to buy. The pelican cried out. Right now I'm so hungry I could eat a stale sardine. Has anyone seen a stale sardine? Or a bucket of rotten cod? I'll eat the lot upon the spot. I'm such a hungry bod. <laughs> That's brilliant. Every time the pelican spoke, the beak I was standing in jiggled madly up and down, and the more excited he got, the more it jiggled. The monkey said, Well, what Pelly's really crazy about is salmon. Yes, yes, cried the pelican, salmon. Oh, glorious salmon. I dream about it all day long, but I never get any. And I dream about walnuts, shouted the monkey. A walnut fresh from the tree, scrumptiously glumptious. So fla so flavorfully, oh God, so flavorily savory, so sweet to eat, that it makes me all wobbly just thinking about it. At exactly that moment, a huge white Rolls Royce pulled up right below us and a chauffeur in a blue and gold uniform got out. He was carrying an envelope in a one-gloved hand. Good heavens, I whispered. That's a Duke of Hampshire's car. Who's he? asked the giraffe. 
He's the richest man in England, I said. The chauffeur knocked on the door of the grubber. He looked up and saw us. He saw the giraffe, the pelly and the monkey and me all staring down at him. From above, but not a muscle moved in his face, not an eyebrow was raised. The chauffeur are very rich men and never surprised by anything they see. The chauffeur said, His Grace, the Duke of Hampshire, has instructed me to deliver this envelope to the Ladderless Window Cleaning Company. That's us, cried the monkey. The giraffe said, Be so good as to open the envelope and read it to us. The chauffeur unfolded the letter and began to read. Dear Sirs, I saw your notice as I drove by this morning. I have been looking for a decent window cleaner for the last 50 years, but I have not found one yet. My house has 677 windows in it, not counting the greenhouse, and all of them are filthy. Kindly come and see me as soon as possible. Yours truly, Hampshire. That, added the chauffeur in a voice, filled with awe and respect, was written by His Grace, the Duke of Hampshire, in his own hand. The giraffe said to the chauffeur, Please tell us, oh sorry, please tell His Grace, the Duke, that we will be with him as soon as possible. The chauffeur touched his cap and got back into his Rolls Royce. Whoopee, shouted the monkey. Fantastic, cried the pelican. That must be the best window cleaning job in the world. Billy, said the giraffe, where is the house called? What is the house called and how do we get there? It's called the Hampshire House, I said. It's just over the hill. I'll show you the way. We're off, cried the monkey. We're off to see the Duke. The giraffe stopped, stooped low and went out through the tall door and the monkey jumped off the window sill and onto the giraffe's back. The pelican with me in his beak, hanging on for dear life, flew across and perched on the top of the giraffe's head. And away we went. Oh my. It wasn't long before we came to the gates of Hampshire House, and as the giraffe moved slowly up to the great white driveway, we all began to feel just a little bit nervous. What's he like, this duke, said the giraffe. I don't know, I said, but he's very, very famous and very rich. People say he has 25 gardeners just to look after his flower beds. Soon, the huge house itself, itself came into view, and what a house it was. It was a palace. It was bigger than a palace. Just look at those windows, cried the monkey. They'll keep us going forever. Then suddenly we heard a man's voice a short distance away to the right. I want those big black ones at the top of the tree, the man was shouting. Get me those great big black ones. We peered round the bushes and saw an oldish man with an immense white moustache standing under a tall cherry tree and pointing his walking stick in the air. There was a ladder against a tree and another man, who was probably the gardener, was up the ladder. Get me those great big black juicy ones right at the very top, the old man was shouting. I can't reach them, your grace, the gardener called back. The ladder isn't long enough. Damnation, shouted the duke. I was so looking forward to eating those big ones. Here we go, said the pelican, whispering to me. And with a swish and a swoop, he carried me to the very top of the cherry tree. And there he perched. Pick them, Billy, he whispered. Pick them quickly and put them in my beak. The gardener's got a shock, got a shock and fell off the ladder. Down below as the duke was shouting, My gun! Get my gun! Some damnable monster of a bird is stealing my best cherries. Be off with you, sir. Go away. They are my cherries, not yours. 
I'll have you shot for this, sir. Where's my gun? Hurry, Billy, said the pelican. Hurry, hurry, hurry. My gun, the Duke was shouting to the gardener. Get me my gun, you idiot. I'll have that thieving bird for breakfast. You see if I don't. I picked them all, I whispered to Pelican, and at once the Pelican flew down and landed right beside the furious figure of the Duke of Hampshire, and he was prancing about waving his stick in the air. Your cherries, your grace, I said, as I leaned over the edge of the Pelican's beak and offered a handful to the Duke. The Duke was staggered. He reeled back on, and his eyes popped, nearly popped out of their sockets. Great Scott, he gasped. Good Lord, what's this? Who are you? And now the giraffe with the monkey was dancing about on her back, emerged suddenly from the bushes. The Duke stared at them. He looked as though he was about to have a fit. Who are these creatures, he bellowed. Has the whole world gone completely dotty? We're the window cleaners, sang out the monkey. We will polish your glass till it's shiny like brass and it sparkles like sun on the sea. We will work for your grace till we're blue in the face, the giraffe and the pelly and me. You asked us to come, you see, the giraffe said. The truth was, at last beginning to dawn on the duke, he put a cherry in his mouth and chewed it slowly, then spat out the stone. I like the way you picked those cherries for me, he said. Could you also pick my apples in the autumn? We could, we could, of course we could, we all shouted. And who are you, said the duke, pointing his stick at me. It's our business manager, said the giraffe. His name's Billy. We go nowhere without him. Very well. Very well, the Duke muttered. Come along with me and let's see if you are any good at cleaning windows. I climbed out of the pelican's beak and, kind, and the kindly old Duke took me by the hand as we walked towards the house. When we got there, the Duke said, What happens next? That's all very simple, Your Grace, said the giraffe. I am the ladder, the pelican is the bucket and the monkey is the cleaner. Watch us go. With that, the famous window cleaning gang sprang into action. The monkey jumped down from the giraffe's back and turned on the garden tap. The pelican held out his great beak under the tap until it was full of water. Then, with a wonderful springy leap, the monkey leapt up once again onto the giraffe's back. From there, he scrambled as easily as if he were climbing a tree the long, long neck of the giraffe until he stood balancing on, very, on the very top of her head. The pelican remained standing on the sorry, the pelican remained standing on the ground beside us, looking up at the giraffe. We'll do the top floor first, the giraffe shouted. Bring the water up, please. The duke called out, don't worry about the two top floors, you can't reach them anyway. Who says we can't reach them, the giraffe called back. I do, and I'm not having any of you risking your silly necks around here. If you wish to be friends with a giraffe, never say anything bad about his neck. Its neck is as proud as possession. What's wrong with my neck? snapped the giraffe. Don't argue with me, you foolish creature, cried the duke. If you can't reach it, you can't reach it, and that's the end of it. Now get on with your work. Your grace, said the giraffe, giving the duke a small, superior smile. There are no windows in the world that I cannot reach with this magnificent neck of mine. The monkey, who was dancing about most dangerously on top of the giraffe's head, cried out, Show him, giraffe, go on, show him. 
showing what you can do with your magical net. The next moment, oh my, the next moment the giraffe's neck, which heaven knows was long enough already, began to grow longer and longer and longer and longer and higher and higher and higher. Oh my gosh. Until at last the giraffe's head with the monkey on the top of it was level with the windows on the top floor. The giraffe looked down from a great height and said to the duke, how's that? The duke was speechless. So was I. It was the most magical thing I'd ever seen. More magical even than the pelican's patented beak. Up above us, the giraffe was beginning to sing a little song. But the song, but she sang the song so softly I could hardly catch the words. I think it went something like this. My neck can stretch terribly high, much higher than eagles can fly. If I ventured to show just how high it would go, you'd lose sight of my head in the sky. The pelican, with his huge beak full of water, flew up and perched on one of the top floor windowsills near the monkey and now the great window cleaning business was really had really begun they sped with the speed with which the team worked was astonishing as soon as one of the windows was done the, the giraffe moved the monkey over to the next one and the pelican followed when all the fourth floor windows on that side of the house were finished the giraffe simply drew up his magical neck until the monkey was level with the third floor window and off they went again Amazing, cried the Duke. Astonishing, remarkable, incredible. I haven't seen out any of those windows for 40 years. Now I shall be able to sit indoors and enjoy the view. Suddenly I saw all three of the window cleaners stop dead in their tracks. They seemed to freeze against the wall of the house. None of them moved. What's happened to them? The Duke asked me. What's wrong? I don't know. Then the giraffe with the monkey on her head tiptoed gingerly away from the house and came towards us. The pelican flew with them. The giraffe came up very close to the duke and whispered, Your Grace, there's a man in one of the bedrooms on the third floor. He's opening all the drawers and taking things out. He's got a pistol. The duke jumped out about a foot in the air. Which room? Show me at once. It's on the third floor where the window is wide open, said the giraffe. By gad, cried the duke. That's the duchess's bedroom. He's after her jewels. Call the police. Summon the army. Bring up the cannon. Charge, the light charge with the light brigade. But even as he spoke, the pelican was flying up into the air. As he flew, he turned himself upside down and tipped the window cleaning water out of his beak. Then I saw the top half of the marvellous paintinted beak sliding out of his head, ready for action. What's that crazy bird up to? cried the Duke. Wait and see, shouted the monkey. Hold your breath, old man. Hold your nose. Hold your horses and watch Pelly go. Like a bullet, the pelican threw through the open window and within five seconds later he came back out again with like his with his great orange beak firmly closed. He landed on the ground on the lawn beside the duke. A tremendous banging noise was coming from inside the pelican's beak. It sounded as though someone was using a sledgehammer against it from the inside. 
He's got him, cried the monkey. Pelly's got the burglar in his beak. Well done, sir, shouted the Duke, hopping about with excitement. Suddenly he pulled the handle of his walking stick upwards, and out of the hollow inside of his stick drew a long, thin, sharp, shiny sword. I'll run him through, he shouted, flourishing up with his sword like a fence. Fencer, sorry. Open up, Pelican. Let me get to him. I'll run the bounder through before he knows what's happened to him. I'll spike him like a pat of butter. I'll feed his gizzard to my foxhounds. But the pelican did not open his beak. He kept it firmly closed and shook his head. The giraffe shouted, The burglar is armed with a pistol, your grace. If Pelly lets him out, he'll shoot us all. He can be armed with a machine gun for all I care, bellowed the duke. I'll handle the blighter. Open up, sir, open up. Suddenly, there was an ear-splitting bang, and the pelican leapt twenty feet in the air. So did the duke. Watch out! He's trying to shoot his way out. At that, um, pointing his sword at the pelican, he bellowed, "Keep that beak closer! Don't you dare let him out! He's a murder! He'll murder us all!" Shake him up, Pelly! cried the giraffe. Rattle his bones and teach him not to do it again. The pelican shook his head so fast from side to side that the beak became a blur and the man inside must have felt like he was being scrambled like eggs. Well done, Pelly, cried the giraffe. You're doing a great job. Keep on shaking him so he doesn't fire that pistol again. At this point, a lady with an enormous chest and flaming orange hair came flying out of the house screaming, My jewels! Somebody has stolen my jewels! My diamond tiara! My necklace! My diamond bracelets and earrings! They've had the lot. My room has been ransacked. And then this massive female, who 55 years ago had been world-famous opera singer, suddenly, oh my, burst into song. My diamonds are over the ocean. My diamonds are over the sea. My diamonds were pinched from my bedroom. Oh, bring back my diamonds to me. We were so bowled over by the power of the lady's lungs that all of us, except the pelican, who had to keep his beak closed, joined in the chorus. Bring back, bring back, oh, bring back my diamonds to me. Bring back my diamonds to me. Calm yourself, Henrietta, said the Duke. He pointed to the pelican and said, This clever bird, this brilliant burglar-catching creature, has saved the day. The bounder is in his beak. The Duchess stared at the pelican. The pelican stared back at the Duchess and gave her a wink. If he's in there, cried the Duchess, why don't you let him out? You can run him through with that famous sword of yours. I want my diamonds. Open your beak, bird. No, shouted the Duke. He's got a pistol. He'll murder us all. Someone must have called the police because suddenly no less than four squad cars came racing towards us with their sirens screaming. Within seconds we were surrounded by six policemen and the Duke was shouting to them. The villain you are after is inside the beak of that bird. Stand by to collar him. And to the pelican he said, Get ready to open up. Are you ready? Open. Go. The pelican opened his beak. And immediately the policeman pounced upon the burglar who was crouched inside. They snatched his pistol away from him and dragged him out and put handcuffs on his wrists. Great Scott, shouted the chief of police. It's the cobra himself. The who? The what? Everyone asked. Who's the cobra? The cobra is the cleverest and most dangerous cat burglar in the world, said the chief of police. He must have climbed 
up the drain pipe. The cobra can climb up anything. Gosh, it's all going on. My diamonds, screamed the Duchess. I want my diamonds. Where are my diamonds? Here they are, cried the Chief of Police, fishing great handfuls of jewellery from the burglar's pockets. The Duchess was so overcome with relief that she fell to the ground in a faint. When the police had taken away the fearsome burglar known as the Cobra, and the fainting Duchess had been carried into the house by her servants, the old Duke stood on the lawn with the giraffe and the pet pelican and the monkey and me. Look, cried the monkey, the rotten burglar's bullet has made a hole in poor Pelly's beak. Oh, that's done it, said the pelican. Now it won't be any use holding water when we clean the windows. Don't worry about that, my dear Pelly, said the Duke, patting him on the beak. My chauffeur will soon put a patch over it the same way he mends the tyres on the Rolls Royce. Right now we have far more important things to talk about than a hole in the beak. We stood there waiting to see what the Duke was going to say. Now, listen to me all of you, he said. Those diamonds were worth millions, millions and millions, and you have saved them. The monkey nodded, the giraffe smiled, and the pelican blushed. No reward is too great for you. The Duke went on. I am therefore going to make you an offer which I hope will give you great pleasure. I hereby invite you, the giraffe, the pelican, the monkey, to live at my estate for the rest of their lives. I shall give you my best and largest hay barn as your private house, central heating, showers, a kitchen and anything else you desire, for your comfort will be installed. In return, you will keep my windows clean and pick my cherries and my apples. And if the pelican is willing, perhaps he will also give me a ride in his beak now and again. A pleasure, your grace, cried the pelican. Would you like a ride now? Later, said the duke, I'll have one after tea. At this point, the giraffe gave a nervous cough and looked at the sky. Oh, I think I know where this is going. Is there a problem, asked the duke? If there is, do please let me hear it. I don't like the sound to sound ungrateful or pushy, murmured the giraffe. But we do have one very pressing problem. We are all absolutely famished and we haven't eaten for days. My dear giraffe, cried the duke, how very thoughtless of me. Food is no problem around here. I'm afraid it is not quite as easy as all that, said the giraffe. You see, I myself happen to be. Don't tell me, cried the, the duke. I know it already. I'm an expert on animals of Africa. The moment I saw you, I knew you were no ordinary giraffe. You're, you are one of the great... Geranius variety, are you not? You are absolutely right, Your Grace, said the giraffe. But the trouble with us is we can only eat... You don't have to tell me that either, cried the Duke. I know perfectly well that a Geranius giraffe can only eat one kind of food. And am I not right in thinking it's the pink and purpley flowers of the tinkle tinkle tree are your only diet? Yes, said the giraffe. And that's been my problem ever since I arrived on these shores. That is no problem at all. Here at Hampshire House, said the Duke. Look over there, my dear giraffe, and you will see the only plantation of tinkle tinkle trees in the entire country. The giraffe looked and she gave a gasp of astonishment. And at first she was overwhelmed and she couldn't even speak. Great tears of joy began running down her cheeks. Help yourself, said the Duke. Eat all you want. Oh, my sainted soul's gasped the giraffe. Oh! My naked neck, I cannot believe what I am seeing. The next moment she was galloping full speed across the lawn, whinnying with excitement. And the last we saw of her, she was burying her head in the beautiful pink purpley flowers 
that blossomed on top of the trees all around her. As for the monkey, the Duke went on, I think he also will be pleased that I have to offer. All over my estate there are thousands of giant nut trees. Nuts, cried the monkey. What kind of nuts? Walnuts, of course. Walnuts, screamed the monkey. Not walnuts. You don't really mean walnuts. You're pulling my leg. You're joking. You can't be serious. I must have heard wrong. There's a walnut tree right over there, the Duke said, pointing. The monkey took off like an arrow, and a few seconds later he was high in the branches of the walnut tree, cracking the nuts and guzzling what was inside. That leaves only the pelican, said the Duke. Yes, said the pelican nervously, but I'm afraid that what I eat does not grow on trees. I only eat fish. Would it be too much trouble, I wonder, if I were to ask you for a reasonably, pri reasonably priced fresh piece of haddock or cod every day? Haddock or cod? shouted the Duke, spitting out the words as though they made a bad taste in his mouth. Cast your eyes, my dear, over there to the south. The pelican looked across the vast rolling estate, and in the distance he saw a great river. That is the River Hamp. The first, the, no, sorry, the finest salmon river in the whole of Europe. Salmon, squeaked the pelican. Not salmon. You don't really mean salmon. It's full of salmon, and I own it. You can help yourself. Before he had finished speaking, the pelican was in the air. The duke and I watched him as he flew full speed towards the river. We saw him circle over the water and dived and disappeared, and a few moments later was in the air again, and he had a gigantic salmon in his beak. I stood alone with the duke on the lawn beside his great house. Well, Billy, he said, I'm glad they are all happy. But what about you, my lad? I'm wondering if you happen to have just one extra special little wish for your, you yourself. If you do, I'd love to tell you. I'd love you to tell me about it. There was a sudden tingling in my toes. It felt as though something tremendous might be going to happen. At any moment. Yes, I murmured nervously. I, I do have one extra special little wish. And what might that be, said the Duke in a kindly voice. There is an old wooden house near where I live. It's, I said, it's called the Grubber, and long ago it used to be a sweet shop. I have wished and wished that one day somebody might come along and make it into a marvellous new sweet shop all over again. Somebody cried the Duke. What do you mean? You and I will do that. We'll do it together. We'll make it into the most wonderful sweet shop in the world, and you, my boy, will own it. Whenever the old duke got excited, his enormous moustache started to bristle and jump about. Right now they were jumping up and down so much it looked as if he had had a squirrel on his face. By gad, sir, he cried, waving his stick, I shall buy the place today. Then we will get to work and have the whole thing ready in no time. You just wait and see what sort of sweet shop we're going to make out of this grubber place of yours. It was amazing at how quickly things began to happen after that. There was no problem about buying the house because it was owned by the giraffe and the pelly and the monkey, and they insisted upon giving it to the duke for nothing. Then the builders and the carpenters moved in and rebuilt the whole of the inside so that once again it had three floors, and on these floors they put together rows and rows of tall shelves, and there was a ladder to climb up to the highest shelves and baskets to carry what you bought. 
Oh my goodness. Then the sweets and the chocolates and the toffees and the fudges and the nuggets began pouring in to fill the shelves. There's a lot. They came by aeroplane from every country in the world. The most wild and wondrous things you could ever imagine. There were, right, gump twizzlers, fizzwinkles from China, froth blowers and spit sizzlers from Africa, tummy ticklers and gobwangles from the Fiji Islands, lip lickers and plush nuggets from the land of the midnight sun. Goodness me. For two whole weeks, the food, oh sorry, the flood of boxes and sacks continued to arrive. I could no longer keep track of all the countries they came from, but you can bet your life as I unpacked each new batch, I sampled it carefully. I can remember especially the giant wine doodles from Australia, every one with a huge red ripe strawberry inside, its crispy chocolate crust and the electric fizz cocklers that made every hair on your head stand straight up as tall as if you had popped into... <laughs> as soon as you pop one into your mouth. And there were the niche nobblers, oh my God, the niche nobblers and the gum glotters, the blue bubblers and the sherbet slurpers, the tongue rakers, as and as well as all this, there was a whole lot of splendid stuff from the great Wonka factory itself. For example, the famous Willy Wonka rainbow drops, suck them and you can spit in seven different colors stick jaw for the talkative parents and his mint jujubes that will give you the boy, oh sorry the boy next door green teeth for a month on the grand opening day i decided to allow all my customers to help themselves for free the place was so crowded with children you could hardly move oh my that doesn't sound good <laughs> television cameras and the newspaper reporters were all there and the old duke himself stood outside in the road with my friends the giraffe and the pelly and the monkey watching the marvellous scene. I came out of the shop to join them for a few moments and I bought each of them a bag of extra special sweets as a present. To the duke, because the weather was a little chilly, I gave him some scarlet scorch droppers that had been sent to me from Ireland the, la the label said they were guaranteed to make the person who sucked them as warm as toast, even if they were standing stark naked at the North Pole in the middle of winter. The moment the Duke popped one in his mouth, thick smoke came gushing out of the old boy's nostrils in such quantities that I thought his moustache was going to go up in flames. Terrific, he cried, hopping about. Tremendous. I'll take a case of them home with me now. The giraffe. The giraffe I gave a bag of glumptious glob gobblers. The glob gobbler is an especially different delicious sweet that is made somewhere near Me Mecca and the moment you bite into it all the perfume juices of the Arab of Arabia go squirting down your gullet and one after another. It's wonderful cried the giraffe as a cascade of lovely liquid flavours poured all the way down her long throat. It's even better than my favourite pink and purple flowers. To the pelican, I gave a big bag of fishlet fishlets. Fishlets, as you probably know, are bought by children who are unable to whistle a tune. 
as they walk along the street, but long to do so. They had a spent, oh my gosh, they had a splendid effect upon the pelican, for after he had put one of them in his beak and chewed it for a while, he suddenly started singing like a nightingale. This made him wildly excited because pelicans are not singing birds. No pelican has ever been known to whistle a tune before. To the monkey I gave a bag of devil's drenches, those small fiery black sweeties that one is not allowed to sell to children under four. When you have sucked a devil's drencher for a minute or two, you can set your breath alight and blow a huge column of fire 20 feet into the air, probably not a good idea for four-year-olds, 20 feet into the air. The duke put a match to the monkey's breath and shouted, blow monkey, blow. A sheet of orange flame shot up as high as the roof of the grubber house and it was wonderful. Goodness me. <laughs> I've got to leave you now, I said. I must go and look after my customers in the shop. We must go too, said the giraffe. We have 100 windows to clean before dark. I said goodbye to the Duke, and then one by one I said goodbye to the, my three best friends I had I'd ever had. Suddenly, we all became very quiet and melancholy, melancholy, and the monkey looked as though he was about to cry, and he sang a little song of farewell. We have tears in our eyes, and we wave our goodbyes. We so love being with you, we three. So do please now and then come and see us again, the giraffe and the pelly and me. All you do is to look at a page in this book, because that's where we will always be. Now, no book ever ends when it's full of your friends, the giraffe and the pelly and me. That's the end. How lovely. So sweet. Seriously? 20, what did it say? 20 feet in the air? 20, 20 20 feet into the air blows a column of fire. I don't think those would sell well. <laughs> Thanks everyone.